Hello, Breakthrough listeners. It's time to embark on your journey towards mastering the infinite banking concept. Ascendant Financial is Canada's gold standard for guiding you every step of the way on your journey of becoming your own banker. Visit mybankersvault.com to purchase our show-stopping package and receive your free wealth accelerator. More money, more control, and fewer taxes await you. Discover the advantages of having ready access to money on demand precisely when you need it to seize high-caliber opportunities with confidence and to watch your wealth soar. Visit mybankersvault.com. Again, that's mybankersvault.com. Tired of the nine to five? Tired of only dreaming about the things you want to do? Want to have more time for your family? More time for you? More time for you? This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we interview qualified guests in the real estate industry all across Canada. We want you to live life on your terms, and we want to help you break through to that life through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. Now your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back again to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. Thanks for joining us. As usual, here with me again is Sandy McKay. What's up, Sandy? Hey, Rob. I'm uh, excited to be here, man. I'm really excited for another show and uh, got a great guest lined up. So lots of fun stuff to come. Absolutely. But first, everyone listening, go over to BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca and download our free gift and get in touch with everybody that we've uh, had on the show before. There you can contact everybody. You can see all of the previous shows I was on there this morning. I was browsing it myself just to see, hey, what have these guys been up to? Because sometimes I forget, you know, like I forget to show up for recordings sometimes. <laughs> but uh, but uh, we, we don't have to talk about that. But um, yeah, so go over there and you can get in touch with everybody that we've had on the show. All their contact information is there in the show notes. So go over and interact with all those guys and uh, get our free gift. Get the free gift, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. Uh, of course, you'll also get up to date with everything that's going on in Rob or my world uh, through our newsletters and that sort of thing. And you won't miss the show and uh, and you won't miss a, a retreat or anything like that. Rob, you want to share, share with us how you're... Uh, your group made out down there in Costa Rica. I think it was yeah, just that recently. Yeah, was fun. Actually, we just wrapped up the, uh, but I don't know, it's convoluted name that I've got for it. Point Break Homes 2023 Costa Rica Real Estate Investor Event. I think it's too, I got to like make that into an acronym or something at some point. Uh, we'll whittle it down. But it went off really well. We had a lot of fun. We saw some, a bunch of new developments, a bunch of resale homes. Um got like went into the sales offices and just learned a whole bunch about the buying processes and legal stuff and you know all of that so it went off really well we didn't just leave it at that though we had a, a bunch of fun events like went to uh, uh an ocean club one night the other night we went on a sunset catamaran and and uh a lot of people shouldn't have been left on their own probably after we got back from that but all in all, it was a lot of fun. So if anyone's interested in doing something like joining us, I think what I'm going to do is actually cater a little bit to specific groups. If you've got like three, four, five, six, twelve friends that want to come down and be involved in something like that, um, 
that's the way I'd like to set it up from now on, I think, with personal groups that want to come down and go through that same experience. So reach out to me if you're interested in something like that. We're going to do it again whenever it's called for. Nice. Sounds awesome. Uh, I saw a few familiar faces there, so it looked great. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And um, and had some offers go in, and so we're still waiting to see what's going on with those. But you know, people are taking action, so that was good. Um, Sandy, you've still got the Vaughn Investors Club going on, right? Everyone. Yeah, we're gonna revamp that into the 2024. So I think people can look out for that. And if you ch- if you check out our, our newsletter there, you'll probably see what's going on with that. Or you can go to VaughnInvestorsClub.com as well uh, to learn more about that. And. Uh, that's pretty much it happening for me this year. I mean, we're going into the holiday this season. Year. Oh, this yeah, year. Okay. I got yeah, it. this year. Not this coming year. The rest of this, like, 2023. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All of what's, uh, all of the little amount left here. We got, uh, we got nothing too crazy, I guess, happening. Uh, but, but Sandy, I'm sure, is going to be there for anyone who needs him. He's going to be there. Don't worry. <laughs> he's not taking a vacation where he's off the grid or off the radar, so. Um, the last thing I guess before we get into this is go over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. You, you know, you guys know, just go over there and leave us a rating and review. It helps a lot. Definitely does. Helps us great get great guests like our guest here today. Are we ready to bring her in here, Rob? Do it. Yes. Cool. We've got Danielle Chase on here with us today, and uh, super excited to have you here, Danielle. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm super excited to be here with both of you guys. Here we are. Yes. Thank you. uh, That's the energy we need. Exactly. Exactly. We've got... We've got uh, lots to talk about with you. Um, actually, it wasn't that long ago that I was, I was on your show. So, um, you know, we've been exchanging some uh, some stories of late. And so excited to have our audience learn more about you, what you've been up to and what you uh, what you do currently and what can, we what can help people out with. So um, definitely happy to have you here. Uh, I know you've done a lot of things, right? So I think um, I'll let you maybe share a little more about your, your backstory, but uh, certainly been involved as an investor for, I want to say 10, 10 plus years, if that's right. Um, doing lots of, uh, I think originally funny when we connected more recently, um, we were looking back on our phones and I was like, look, we, we were texting like 10 years ago about that deal. Uh, I forget which one it was. Um, but uh, but we've been kind of in and out of each other's uh, networks here for, for 10 years-ish. And uh, I know you've done lots of flips. You've done lots of investment stuff. You're consultants and help others uh, in their journeys now. So why don't you tell us a bit about your, uh, your backstory and how you got started in this real estate investment world? Yeah, I'll try to keep it like high level so we don't go too long about it. But essentially, yeah, you're right. It's been over 10 years. In fact, um, this year is my 20th year in real estate. Um, I bought my first property in 2003, actually. However, I tell people that I've only been a real estate investor for the last 10 years. And the reason why I say that is because it was in 2013 when I decided to make this a career. And so prior to that, for the first 10 years, I was just buying properties and holding them being a landlord. And so when I decided to educate myself and start doing this as a career and start actually doing it in a way that was intentional, that's when I went from an amateur investor, aka landlord, to a sophisticated investor. And that's what we have today. So when I decided to go into real estate investing full time, um, educated myself, went down to the States. There really wasn't much up here at the time and learned flipping as a primary 
strategy. And so I flipped for a long time in Hamilton and that's how we connected because I believe you were representing one of the properties that I was looking at buying. And so, yeah, funny story for your audience. Sandy and I were, uh, we were at an event, uh, this past year and you know, I went to put his number in my phone and it was like, Oh shoot, I already have your number. Wait a minute. And then I had the text history. So technology, you know, there's, there's, there's no hiding anymore because you can see everything. And so we're like, oh yeah, there was that one deal. So that was like kind of fun. And it only took uh, me eight yeah. years. There was it only took me eight years to get back to you on that question. You <laughs> <laughs> did leave me hanging. You totally left me hanging. Yeah. Um, but in any event, uh, yeah. So there was obviously some touch points in the past. We circle. I mean, we, we travel the same circles. We've been in the same rooms together and whatnot. So um, anyhow, that was just kind of a fun little story. Yeah, so I flipped for many years, and then at the beginning of COVID, I wound down the flipping business and went into just uh, multifamily acquisitions. Did that for a couple of years, built up my portfolio, and all during that time, I was doing a lot of speaking engagements and uh, facilitating some workshops and whatnot, helping people. I just became deemed an expert in my field and um, really found a passion in doing that. So now what I'm doing is. I'm winding down the real estate business because um, the portfolio, because what I have now is not what I want to take with me in the future because I have all smaller properties, smaller multis, my largest only being a nine unit. And so I uh, want to offload all of those which are scattered around different markets and go into purpose-built larger multis when I come back into the space. And that's actually buying back my time so that I can fulfill my passion, which is to help people on their real estate journey. So right now my focus is building out strategic success consulting which is my learning and educational platform for people who want to learn and grow within the real estate space and um, funny enough it's not just real estate it's also entrepreneurs so they kind of go hand in hand so real estate investors start this as a side job and end up as entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs go into doing what they do and and anybody who knows me knows i'm a systems person i love systems um and so we help entrepreneurs kind of find that freedom that they initially wanted when they started their businesses, that they end up becoming handcuffed to a job, which um, is not what people go into business for ultimately. So we help them get their freedom back and also take control of their retirement through real estate. So it's kind of fun how it kind of works together and goes hand in hand. Well, we definitely want to talk more about that, but I do want to go back a little bit and just touch on a few things that you mentioned earlier. And that is the first one being, okay, you said that you were more of, well, you used the term passive, I believe, to describe the landlording, which I don't necessarily, uh, you know, know if, the, <laughs> if I consider just that. To clear, just to be clear, I did not say landlording was passive, um, but I did say I was an amateur investor at that point because landlords typically, I don't know, per, I can only speak from my own experience. So myself as a landlord, I thought I had it made. I had it all figured out and thought I knew everything in the real estate investing world until I educated myself and realized I knew absolutely nothing. I knew how to buy a property and put tenants in and I didn't even know how to do that well. So well, uh, yeah. let's talk about what, what sort of boosted you to educate yourself, right? So you said, and sorry, I, I, I think I did use the wrong word there. I apologize. But, um, but um, you know, going from where you were just sort of having properties and then putting tenants into them to the point where you said, you know what, I'm going to learn about this and I'm going to make it an active business. What triggered that and how did you learn? 
Yeah, ultimately, first of all, if you're going to go into real estate investing and everybody, not everybody, but it, I mean, most people should have learned this lesson. If you're not well equipped in this space and you make a mistake, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And through 2022 and 2023, a lot of people got caught because they invested, but they didn't invest well. And education is what helps you position yourself to negate risk. So you need that education and that knowledge in order to reduce your risk, limit your liabilities, because let's face it, when you're dealing with real estate, you're dealing with big numbers. And so if you make a mistake in real estate, it's not going to be a couple hundred bucks and it may not even be only a couple thousand dollars. It could be tens of thousands of dollars and if not more. And it has been more for some people in the real estate space, um, given the last, you know, I want to say 18 months that we've been through. So it's, hard for people to pull the trigger and come into the real estate space if they don't know what they're doing because they don't have the confidence because the numbers are big and they know that there's a potential to lose a lot of money, right? And so education gets that. And that's why when I decided to become a sophisticated investor, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be investing in real estate and I need to know what I'm doing because if I don't do it right, I'm going to lose my shirt. And so my first line of defense for that was to educate myself. And that's why I went down south. And I highly recommend for everybody to do the same. Sorry, you said you went down south? Yeah, into the States. Yeah. Well, south of Canada. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> not not Rob South. Rob not South. All the way to you, yeah. Beautiful South. Yeah. Sorry, I went south to yeah, I crossed the border into the States. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, I lined myself up with a group there and got some tremendous um coaching, mentoring, and just learning down there. I mean, I spent two years, a lot of money and a lot of time down there. I was there probably every six weeks or so at a conference. Um, the conferences were four to six days long. So I really, it was like an immersive for me. It was an intense immersive education in real estate. So we like to keep things like in all of our information, very Canadian based, right? Like stuff that is actionable here. And so was there anything that you found in that, in that education, those two years in the States that you couldn't bring back here? That I couldn't? Yeah. Oh, well, the 1031 exchange, unfortunately, we can't bring it back here. That's very (laughs) like, and that for people who don't understand what the 1031 exchange is, it's a tax break that the Americans have. It would be similar to CRA giving us a tax break saying, hey, look, and this, this is how it works. It says, hey, look, if you sell an investment property and roll it over into another similar or like investment, take the profits of that and roll it over into a similar investment, then you can defer taxes on the capital gains of that investment. And we just don't have that here. But what we do have that the states don't have is that we don't pay taxes, uh, any capital gains on our primary residence. So, uh, you know, I mean, we have benefits on our side. They have benefits on their side. Most of, you know, the tax benefits are similar. Um, but ultimately like we just got to work what we, what we got. Right. But I'd love to have the 1031 exchange here as an investor. I would love to have that here because I have many properties. Whereas, you know, if I was just someone who had my primary residence and nothing else, obviously it works better. The Canadian rules work better for them. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. That, that makes sense. And then, were you just there learning flipping strategies or was it like a, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well ultimately it started out as flipping. So, um, the marketing is, I mean, everybody's seen it. It was an ad, you know, heard it. It's an ad on the radio and it was a free two hour kind of, 
kind of workshop. So I went to this two hour free informational thing, which led into a paid three day event, which, you know, led into the program, which is kind of a, it's a marketing strategy. It's a marketing funnel that um, companies use and it worked. I mean, I got in and having said that, I mean, it was a, a large capital commitment at first to go into this, but I knew that if I did one flip and I got that money back, then I would be at a net zero when you're calculating money, but I would be so much further ahead because I would get all this knowledge out of it. So if I did one flip and recovered my initial investment, then I'd be like, okay, well, number one, uh, I'll know whether or not this is something I want to do long-term. And number two, I'll have all this knowledge. Even if I decide not to do it, I'll at least know all of this stuff when it comes to flipping a house and maybe home renovations or whatever. And what I got for my money was way beyond what I had thought. I mean, it was um, such good information that every time I went down there, I learned something new and I grew. And the, the company itself that did the training also was evolving. And so I got to grow with them. So as they brought on new information, so primarily it was flipping, but then they went into wholesaling. They went into um, all kinds of different strategies, like raising capital and all these other, you know, managing your business systems within your business, marketing and all of these things. So I ended up learning way more than what I had initially thought, which was primarily I was just going down there to learn to flip. But I really got all of my foundation to what I know today from that company. And then the other thing too, is when you're making such a huge investment, you can't like, you've got something to prove to yourself, right? So oftentimes, even if there's not a call to action, which a lot of those programs do have, uh, it's like accountability saying, this is, this is a step, this is where we want you to be in a certain amount of time. You'll most often take on, uh, you know, that accountability onto yourself just because of the amount of money that you spend. Well, that depends. I think a lot, it depends on, listen, at the end of the day, it depends on people's mindset, right? And it depends on people's financial situation. So let's say it's a $20,000 investment. If somebody can afford the 20,000, like there's a lot of people who will invest $20,000 and not do anything with it because that isn't an amount of money that hurts them. Right. But the people that you see that really are motivated to get their money back are the people that maybe leveraged something or borrowed against something in order to pay for that tuition. And then they're like, man, I need to make this money back. And they're motivated to make it back because they know there's no other way for them. They're not going to get that back in their nine to five. They're not. Right. And so they're motivated to do something to get that money back. So I think a lot, it's very dependent on mindset, financial situation, how motivated they are in order to actually get that money back. And I mean, you brought up accountability, Rob, I'm going to say it like a lot of people have a hard time holding themselves accountable. When you have a nine to five, you know, you got to show up. Otherwise you get fired. That's you getting held accountable to that nine to five. But when you work for yourself, it is freaking hard. And people learn this the hard way. It is hard to get yourself out of bed and stay focused and motivated on your job. And especially when you're an entrepreneur and you don't have systems and every day you're doing something different, you don't really know what you should work on today, what you should work on tomorrow. Now you add like all these other things that didn't need to be done for business before, like social media and, you know, managing people virtually and all this other stuff. It's just the layers of complexity when running a business has just been tougher. Um, and, and how do people manage that? Because now like there's this whole tech side of things too. Like you got to understand websites called like CTAs called the actions and, marketing and these are things business owners didn't need to know before or put time and energy into so there's like way more for them to like 
have to manage. So as an entrepreneur, you wake up in the morning, you go, Oh, what do I work on today? Like, do I work on, you know, RGA's revenue generating activities or do I work on my social media? Like what's more important? And you just kind of scattered all over the place. So systems are more important now than ever, but it's hard for people who are self-employed to hold themselves accountable. It's really hard. Yeah, especially when you have to do it over an extended period of time through different circumstances, through different life experiences and all that kind of stuff, right? Absolutely. Well, especially when everything can be justifiable. And this is a trap that people get into is that you can justify anything. And in your mind, maybe you're justifying why I'm doing this instead of that. Maybe something in your life happens. Like, I don't know, you're maybe you're you you have a child and they have like a school play and it's in the middle of the day and you're like, well, this is why I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to go to the school play, but then you don't have the discipline to come back and do the extra hours of work that you gave up during that nine to five. Um, and then you lose those hours and you'll never get those back. Right. So it's, you can justify everything. And that's where it's a bit of a trap because is it an excuse to work less? Like some people say, well, I didn't become an entrepreneur to work more. So they don't. And it's like, you know, so like you can really get into that trap of excusing or giving yourself permission to, and justifying things that maybe you shouldn't be justifying. Again, it's just really hard to hold yourself accountable. Yeah. And I could say I'm definitely guilty of that, especially like the first year down here where, you know, it's really nice out every day and you forget that there's work that needs to be done as well um you know it i i had a really good work discipline when i got here so uh you know it, it went it didn't go off the rails but it does take a while to realize hey you're not on, you need to realize hey i'm not on vacation anymore i need to get back to work here so uh yeah keeping yourself disciplined is definitely something that is tough to do yeah and, and everybody's done it right sandy <laughs> I know it's, uh... let's call them out sandy what did you do no i'm just saying everybody's done it right like i just you know like I, I want your audience to understand like if they're saying yeah that's me i want you to realize you're not alone we all go through that you gotta yeah. learn how to get through. yeah no i like it because on this show too we talk about challenges and like we've had guests on here before where we go what are the challenges that you had and they go I just can't think of any, you know, I've done so well and everything is so great. And, and all of your listeners should reach out to me so that I can help. That's them. a lie. I'm just going yeah. to Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so, and, and, and since we're going to bring up the topic, let's talk about some of the challenges that you've faced. Oh gosh. <laughs> me, I'm my biggest challenge. That's for one. And like I said, like for anybody listening, like I'm going to tell you, it's just part of the journey. When it's hard and it's freaking hard, that's okay because that's just part of the journey. Just get through it. So uh, you got to embrace those challenges and work through it. But really, when I say me as being, you know, the number one challenge, it is me. Like, you know, I've had to overcome mindset issues. I've had to, you know, get past hurdles, mental hurdles. Those are the toughest ones more than anything is the mindset stuff. And so, uh, but beyond that, I would say, but again, I mean, this also ties back to mindset. Probably the toughest challenge for me was being able to trust people enough to bring them into the business and scale with a team as opposed to trying to do everything myself. And that's and like most business owners, most business owners cannot overcome that on their own. They just have a hurt like because what happens, even just hiring somebody. Never mind partnering, but just hiring somebody where you're still maintaining control 
of everything, but you bring somebody in and they're not doing it to the level or to the expectations that you would do it, then it's a hard pill to swallow because your business is your baby. And again, where everything's justifiable, it's like, well, no, they're not good enough. They're not doing it the way I would. And I can't put my name on this. I can't put this out, whatever it is. And so you let them go. But ultimately, you have to be okay with 80% of what your expectation would be if you did it yourself when you hire people. Because 80% is, is more than good enough. It's just as business owners, and especially, you know, type A personalities, we're very like, we want everything done a certain way. We want to make sure it looks good because there's pride there. And so people come in and they're doing their job. They're only going to run it at about 80% of what we would. They're not going to go as fine detailed. They're not going to look it over. Like done is better than perfect. Here the boss wants this, you get it done, right? And you got to be okay with letting that go out. I'm going to tell you that last 20%, the only person that notices the difference is you, the business owner. Like it is so minor, but we just get caught up in that. So then what happens is a business owner hires somebody. Nope, nope, not good enough. Hire somebody else. And then that person struggles, like, forget it. I'll just, I'll just do it myself. It's quicker to do it myself. And so they don't train that person. They don't even give them the time in order to learn the job well. And so the business owners ends up doing everything themselves. And I'm going to tell you, it's not a pleasant life for most because it's hard when you're doing it on your own, you're doing everything on your own. So I think the hardest part for me was trusting people that I brought into the fold and, and delegating and starting to let go. I mean, that was the hardest part. And I find this also to be the hardest part for the people that I coach. Um, but you know what, at the end of the day, that's a me issue. You need to deal with that internally. And you need to get over that if you really want to find a lifestyle as a business owner, because otherwise you're going to be doing it all yourself. And then the other like sort of side to that too, is that if you are hiring someone, that means you're taking the time to put the processes in place, like you said, to train them. And then if you're doing that on top of not letting them take their role and, and taking it back, it's like triple the work that you would have had in the first place, really. hundred um, yeah, percent. And it's time, capital, and resources to hire and train somebody. Time, capital, and resources. Like, it is not a small feat to hire people. It's painful. But here's the problem, Rob, that people get into when they're hiring people is that they're waiting too long to hire someone when they need them. And I always tell people, like, if the thought crosses your mind, should I hire an admin? Yes, you should have done it probably two months ago. If the question pops up in your mind, it's already too late. You should have had already somebody on your team. And so, um, and there's a process. There is a process of onboarding somebody. And when, even before that, bef like before you're onboarding somebody, you almost need to define what that role is and what you, you need them to do. And the problem is, is that as the business owner creating a new seat within your organization, you actually don't know what that person is gonna do. And so when you hire the first person, you're all over the place because you haven't gotten anything figured out as to what they're going to do. And it's not a pleasant journey for the person you hired. And so I always say it's typically a rule of three where it's going to take three hires to settle before you figure out that new position. And it's not your fault, their fault. It's just part of the process. Again, I don't like right and wrong or your fault, my fault, whatever. Like, I don't like that uh, blame game. It's just part of the process because when you hire the first person, then you start realizing, okay, these are the types of things that I'm going to start giving to them. Great. 
but they're all over the map. There's no systems. You don't even have their email address set up. You don't know where they're going to be filing on their online, like what access you're giving them to the resources you have. And like, so it's, it's a bit scattered and it just doesn't work out. It doesn't feel good for them. They either quit or you fire them because they're not performing. Well, they're not performing because you didn't train them, right? Because you didn't know what you were giving them to do in the first place. But when you do the second hire and the third hire, now you've got something. And so most business owners, they hire, it doesn't work the first time. They go, yeah, it didn't work. It just doesn't work. Nobody can do it like I can. Well, that you're, you're lying to yourself. Of course they can. Like, think about this. Like, take a step back for a minute and just put a little bit of thought into it. Can somebody else do what you're doing? 100%. Everybody's replaceable. So when you say, oh, they can't do it as good as I am, that's just BS. It's okay. Um, you just, you have to get organized in order to make that onboarding process um, streamlined and be clear on what your expectations are for that person. Sorry, I feel like I went on a tangent. Sorry, I feel really passionate about this. You did, it's great. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's perfect. I mean, we want people to talk about the things that they know and the things that they're excited about, right? And that way, you know, the people listening can feel that passion. So, for sure. I was trying to. I was trying to remember if anyone's ever. I, I don't know if anyone's ever said it, it's an obvious one in a way, but it, I can't. I don't know if anyone's ever said they were the biggest challenge. It sounded like a new one to me, Rob. I, we get a lot of the typical investor ones. Like it is the. It is pretty much the root of everyone's challenges. Always stems from them in some way, shape, or form. So kudos yeah. for you to actually acknowledge that. I think a lot of people they can't quite get that far that it's their problem or their fault or. You know, and so well, I think actually, I mean, the, the other thing, too, though, is that a lot of people do say that mindset is one of their biggest challenges. Sure. Yeah. So, um, it's the root now, of all of it, for sure. When you say that, though, do you have any tips maybe for people to overcome those mindset challenges they might run into? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, if you feel your if you feel your mind poison, you're going to get poisoned, right? And so what you want to do is you want to fuel your mind the way you fuel your body with healthy stuff. And so um, if it's a mindset issue or you want to start like thinking more positively or seeing, you know, the silver lining behind things, like you really start to have to put yourself in a position where you're feeding your brain more positive thoughts. And so um, again, coming back to the original group that I started training with, um, I ended up, so I ended up buying into the program and then I ended up enrolling into what they call the inner circle program where I had a one-on-one -on -one coach for a year. And he ended up, I was going through at the time I was going through a separate, that I was just like, let's see, let me, let me get the date straight. So I enrolled in August of 2013, January of 2014, right after it was actually during the holidays. Um, I had left my life partner who I have three kids with. And so, I mean, I was devastated. It was probably one of the lowest times of my life. And so here we are six months into this. And I enrolled in the inner circle program in October. So actually I was only about three, four months into the program. I remember it was March of 2014 when he said, you know what, Danielle, I can't coach you anymore. This is what I need you to do. He, and he had, and for anybody listening, this was a massive, massive one for me. So Napoleon Hill has a tip of the day or something like that. It was an, it's an email that he sends every day or the organization. Napoleon Hill is dead, uh, but the organization has survived, thank God. Because honestly, I mean, it's done everything for me. So feed your brain with good, positive thoughts, like mind-changing thoughts. And every day I looked at this email, I subscribed to this email list, and it was, oh, it was Napoleon Hill's thought of the day. 
And so you can go on the website, figure out where you download it. I don't know where at this point, but I, I do know they still send them out. And I would read these every, and it was almost like it was speaking to me. And it really just kind of helped reset my brain. But that was the beginning of me feeding my brain with healthy stuff. So like, stop like listening to the naysayers. If you have negative people around you, like I don't surround myself with negative people anymore. Like people say, oh my God, people are so like, negative on social media and this and that. I don't even see that on social media because the people that I identify with and that the, the feeds that I watch, there's no negativity. Like it's all positive stuff. And so my brain has like really shifted. So feed your brain with positive stuff. And so you can start thinking positively in a more abundant mindset instead of a scarcity mindset. And that, you know, for me was a game changer. Um, that was one thing that I could tell you was a game changer for me. And the other one was done is better than perfect. So I'll tell you a really funny story. Done is better than perfect is, um, it was, I mean, they used to say it all the time on stage when they're presenting and everything. Like, it, I mean, it just got so ingrained into me, but ultimately when I created my business, my flipping business in August of 2013. So I enrolled into this group and then I did have a coach then, but it was not inner circle coach, which inner circle was just higher level coach. Um, but I had coaches and they, and they, uh, they told me I had to go and incorporate a business and then I had to get business cards and like they had all this thing I had to do. So I went and got my business and I needed a business name and I am a perfectionist. I'm detail oriented. I like my T's crossed, my I's dotted and, you know, and I won't do anything and my pride would step in the way because I wouldn't launch anything unless it was perfect. And so Dennis Better Than Perfect has, ha has really helped me let go of that. So if you are doing anything or working on anything out there, like writing a book or starting a business, whatever it is that you're doing, just remember done is better than perfect. Because at the end of the day, which is what I said before on the call uh, on, in this podcast, your 80% is enough. It's enough. Because that last 20%, you're only doing it for yourself. And that's your pride. So if you can get things done at 80%, it's good enough. Because for most people, like my 80% is better than many people's 100%, right? And so I just got to have faith and trust in that. And by the way, you can always make it better after you launch. It's not like the end all be all that once you launch it, it's done. You can't ever change it. You got to stay fluid and you'd be able to go back and improve on it later. Right. So mm -hmm. done is better than perfect was a big one for me as well. Yeah. That's how Stan and I got here. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> right. Starting a podcast. Like mm -hmm. if you wait till you have everything, I, I want the best people lined up and I want this lined up. That like, you'll never get it done. How many people are listening to this call to this podcast right now? And they're like, yeah, I want to start podcasts and I've been saying it for three years now. A lot mm -hmm. of people. So just yeah. go get it done. Exactly. Absolutely. Do, do the, uh, do the first one, which I mean, I don't even know if I, if I went back and listened to the first one it'd probably be pretty, be probably, pretty bad. yeah, I'd probably be thinking that I might even go like, man, maybe we should just get rid of this one. <laughs> just take it off there altogether. Although but, back uh, then was, uh, I want to say Skype, maybe Skype. It wasn't the zoom didn't exist yet. I know that. Um, and so it was a different time for sure. So if someone does go back and listen, they got to give us a bit of leeway there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But they're but they're dating us, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I really do like that though. Done is much better than perfect. And, well, they say uh, they say uh, perfection is the lowest standard on on earth. 
um, because it's impossible. Hmm. Well, they, someone says that because it's impossible. <laughs> it's a moving target though, right? Because mm -hmm. you get it to where you think it's going to be great. Let's say you got the podcast to where you thought it's great, but then it's all of a sudden all this other stuff came out. You could do this and do that and make it better. So I'll tell you, Rob, done is yeah. better than perfect is what got me unstuck. But we have since evolved that internally in our organization. We say done is better than perfect in the pursuit of perfection. Hmm. So because ultimately what I want to do is I want to create a base for anything that I do and I start. And then after that, we just continue to tweak and make better. So we just continue to improve on what we've already done. So we're always in pursuit of perfection to your point, Sandy. Right. But hmm. this is the thing is that when you say done is better than perfect, it's almost like, okay, once it's done, it's finite, right? Mm -hmm. In your mind, like you gotta be, you gotta be really careful how you say things because words right. matter. Everybody yeah. says that words matter, but let me tell you, words freaking matter because your brain takes things very literal, and so you have to be able to be a little bit smarter than your brain. So when you say done is better than perfect, you think, okay, I've done something, I'm done. You wash your hands of it, you never look at it again. But if you say done is better than perfect in the pursuit of perfection then you know you're always going to be improving on things. And as a business owner, you have to always be improving on things because you have to shift with the market, with the times, with the trends, whatever it is that's affecting your business. Yeah, like this is the way that we do it until we learn of a better way. That's right. Yep. Okay. Well, that's where that 80% person that gets it 80% as good as you do the first time, right? And so the second time, they might get to an 85, 90. The, the 100th time, they might get to 120% better than you would have done. But now they're... Now they're better at it than you are. Like you have to let that process take place, right? The only way to let that happen is for them to, unless you're hiring someone that's, you know, you're, you're paying that top dollar for someone that's a already proven talent, which is not a typical early phase business move, right? <laughs> so you're usually hiring someone that's potentially talented. Right? And so you got to let them build on that potential. You can't just block off, block them out from that by doing it all yourself. So I, I agree with that for sure. 80% and then let them let them prove to you that they can get to a hundred plus percent over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the goal. Right. But that hundred percent mm -hmm. is like, that's a moving target. Like you said, yeah. right. Like, because it's perception, like what is a hundred percent? My hundred yeah. percent is different than your hundred percent. That's different than Rob's hundred percent. Right. It's mm -hmm. too subjective. And so like at the end of the day, just work within your own reality, but keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. And if you're in a, if you're trying to do things at 100%, you're not going to be moving forward. You're going to be spinning your wheels in the mud. Danielle, would you, would you uh, now, like, you, you know, you've, you've grown a lot of uh, in, on the business side of things. And I know you've done a lot of different versions of investing. But if you were going back to early, like 2013, let's say, where you really were starting out investing full on, um, how, would, you, would you pursue the flipping uh, path again or if someone was starting maybe in flipping today would that be something you recommend or would it be or, or what would you have done differently maybe back then as well that's a lot of questions um no it's, it is a lot and i can unpack that no worries so two different questions i yeah. would not i would not change it for a minute i'll tell you why because what i learned when i was flipping is invaluable i mean that's called experience right I was on the job sites. I've got steel-toed boots. I've got my car hearts. By the way, my boots have hot pink laces, so I had to have a little bit of them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do a whole lot of hammer swing swinging. I did do some demo, and I'd run my demos, actually, um, the way I ran the demo jobs, but um, just because it's kind of fun to be a little aggressive sometimes. But, um, yeah, ultimately, I wouldn't change it because 
what I learned in that process, I mean, I walked a lot of properties. I underwritten a lot of properties as a realtor. You know, I got the MLS comps and I looked at the numbers. I learned, I talked to the trades. I was so hands-on that I, I just learned so much. And I, I and, and about all parts of the business, like right from, you know, the marketing to finding the deal, underwriting the deal, doing the paperwork, vetting for the, you know, building up the scope of work, vetting for the proper trades, running the trades, doing that, doing the permit. Like I did my own permits as the homeowner, um, you know, because I did my flips when there was anything structural, I brought in a, a, an architect, a, um, a structural engineer, but ultimately like I designed my own uh, permits. Um, so I, I mean, I learned a ton, a ton, and I wouldn't change that because that really like knowledge is one thing I'll tell you, I could lose everything that I've built up today but I'll never like as, as far as whatever my net worth is, but you never lose that knowledge and experience and that knowledge and experience this is why they say like you could make a first million and lose it. And it might take you a long time to get that first million, but if you lose it all, you can do it in half the time to get it back because you have all that knowledge. Right. Um, and you know, and I loved it. I mean, I love real estate. I love it. Like I wouldn't change it for the world. While I did the flips, I learned, I was one of the early people that started doing duplex conversions in Hamilton and uh, working with the city as well, um, doing different strategies as far as like putting sprinkler systems in mechanical rooms. They'd never seen that. I, I kind of walked them through that. There was a whole bunch of things that I learned, but again, because I was so hands-on. Um, so doing the conversions, um, tenanting property management because the duplex conversions I kept. And so like, doing property management. Yeah, no, the answer, the short answer is no, I would not change it. Um, now having said that, what would I have changed with what I did? I probably would have exited out of being in the weeds again, coming back to what we were talking about where that solopreneur is doing everything themselves. I definitely would have onboarded partners or people sooner to start taking over certain parts of, of the business so that I could grow faster. I mean, I didn't grow very fast because it was just me and I was just doing my little flips and I just, I wasn't scaling. And that's because I was scared to bring people in. So that's the one thing that I would change is I would have done that sooner. Now, since I've decided to scale in 2021, um, I mean, my whole life and business has changed and I love it. You know, it's just, it's a whole new journey. And you know what, being, the other part of it, having people on your team, is like, I don't know, it's kind of nice to not like when you're having a bad day to have people around you to validate you and say, yeah, you know what, you got a lot on your plate or you've got this or that working against you. So you have a team there too, to validate that you, it's okay. It's okay what you're dealing with. Makes sense. It makes it, make, it can make it more enjoyable with people too. I, I, I mean, maybe that's not everybody, but certainly, uh, you know, you're building something beyond just, just for yourself and there's other people involved. It can be kind of uh, a driver for sure uh, to keep going and, and go go beyond maybe where you think you would have to or, or want to go yourself. Well, uh, not only that, yeah. Sandy, it's sustainability of the business too, right? So what happens mm -hmm. is you have, like, and I learned this too when I was scaling and doing multifamilies, was the banks like it when there's multiple partners in a business because if something happens to one partner, the business is still going. It's actually a risk for them to lend to businesses that are solopreneurs because they're, they're aware that if something happens with that 
person gets sick, gets cancer, gets hit by a bus or whatever, and they can't work, that's going to have a direct impact on the revenue generated by that company. And so um, sustainability of the business, having multiple partners is actually a smart move. And so anybody who's out there who's thinking, mm, should I get a partner? Yeah, you should. But it has to be the right partner. Mm. Have you uh, now you've been coaching and training investors, business owners um, for for quite some time? What are some of the things you've you've maybe commented on a couple already here? But what are the biggest uh, challenges that these investors or business owners, either either one, what are they what are they experiencing, or what have they been experiencing that you've seen kind of a common commonality there that uh, that you have a tip for or, or a fix? Well, one of the biggest things as real estate investors is that they haven't focused enough on multiple streams of income and, you know, they've put all their eggs in one basket. And so you have 2022 and 2023 that happened and all of the income just, I mean, it just dived all of the rental income. And so now they've realized how important it is to have multiple streams of income. So you know, creating vertical integrations in your business to have other streams of income. I mean, you guys, you know, you're realtors and then you're also investing in real estate, right? And you also have these events that you're doing, Rob, and you have all these people. So there's like different streams of income and they may not seem like a lot, but when you pull them all together, then you have a really sustainable business whereas one area might die off a little bit and the rest can carry and vice versa. And so that's number one. I mean, if you want to be an entrepreneur, be a freaking entrepreneur and make it happen, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you want to be a business owner and you own a restaurant and you just want to do that, life is definitely going to be simpler and easier, but financially it, it's going to have ups and downs because there's nothing to offset or to balance that one business. So you look at a restaurant owner, you go into 2020 and COVID hit, now there's no income coming in. What are you going to do to teach your family, right? So multiple streams of income is, and it doesn't matter. Even if you have a nine to five, like nine to fivers are now realizing I, this is my only income. If I get hurt, how do I feed my family? Well, you can start investing in real estate and balance that out. That's a different source of income, right? So having multiple sources of income, I just think is good for anybody, not just business owners. I think COVID and uh, and even the couple of years here after COVID with like real estate, for example, really taught a lot of people, almost almost every industry uh, at this point, that nothing is like 100% secure. There's no investment. Real estate, as much as Canadian, South Ontario, Canadian real estate especially, seems almost uh, almost like a guarantee in the long haul. It's Nothing's a full-on guarantee. You never know, especially over you know a year or two years, like a short window, you never know how the industry is going to react or what's going to happen or government intervention. There's so many things, so many factors. Uh, it's really difficult to just base your life around one income stream and feel security in that. That's, that's a, that's a tough thing. I think people definitely need multiple income streams, even ideally multiple industries, multiple markets, multiple, like, you know, really get it diversified, which doesn't need to happen right away, but over, you know, a 20 year period of working or investing, you know, I think that's something people should be striving for. So yes. I agree for sure. Stay curious, right? Like, don't get complacent. Stay curious. What else can I do? So you, you did this and you got really good at it. Great. What else can I do? What else is out there? Stay curious and just keep sniffing around different, different opportunities, right? And then that also is just, again, coming back to, you know, feeding your brain with positive stuff. I mean, when you do something and then you're doing it well and you just stay there, then all of a sudden you become stagnant. Well, 
your brain starts like a slow decline because you're just not nourishing it with something new and exciting. And so you gotta, you gotta just keep moving, keep things interesting, keep doing something different, right? If you're doing the same thing day in and day out, it's just going to be a slow death. And maybe that's just me, but you know, some people like that and I get that some, some of that in your life is good. Um, but not all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Sort of the I same wanna... thing as growth happens out of the comfort zone, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay. No. Let's talk about your comfort zone. Hang on a minute. Okay. You're just firing me up, Rob. Okay. Get That's comfortable right. getting uncomfortable. <laughs> get comfortable getting uncomfortable. Yes. That is where you grow. That is where you learn. Are you going to make a mistake? Yeah, you are. But is it okay? Absolutely. Because that's where you learn and that's where you grow. Like, it's okay to do something and not do it the right way or the way that people think that it should be done. Because you know what? Then you learn how not to do it. So there's nothing that is done that can't be undone. So just do it. Like, you know, your comfort zone is like a circle and you're within that comfort zone. And if you kind of push the limits a little bit and step outside of that circle, and then you start kind of staying in that space for a little bit, well, then your circle grows. And then you do it again, because then you get comfortable in that new space. So then you just stretch a little bit more and then it's uncomfortable, but it's only uncomfortable for a little while. So you're again in this space and it's out here. And then all of a sudden it becomes comfortable. And now your circle gets a little bit wider. And then you just keep doing that until the sky's the limit. You just keep doing that over and over and over again. And it's okay. You can't live 24 seven in the uncomfortable zone. You can't because it takes so much energy and uh, it'll just exhaust you. So you, you're just going to bounce back and forth. And when I say bounce back and forth, meaning you're going to bounce out, stay there for a little bit until you get comfortable and stay in that comfort zone for just a little while to regenerate your energy until you step outside that comfort zone again. And then you just keep stretching, keep stretching, keep stretching. And then, I, and, and then you just become this, this powerhouse. You do anything. It's amazing. Danielle, is this the kind of tips and knowledge and exciting conversation that people can expect from the podcast that you do? The Let's Get Real, real <sighs> so, Estate, Let's Get Real Estate podcast. Yeah, so the Let's Get Real Estate podcast. Thank you for that plug. I appreciate that. I do have a podcast of my own. Um, I do talk a little bit on the podcast, but really it's not about me. It's about my guests that bring on and, uh, I really just leave the mic to them. And so I just validate a lot of what they say or, um, regurgitate it maybe in my own words, but, um, truly it's just all about my guests and my guests are so like the let's get real estate podcast was born because from me going on stage, you know, people come up to me and, and they think I walk on water or something like that. And it's just, just like it just, I, I get so flabbergasted because I'm like, look, I'm an East coast girl that grew up with nothing and secondhand clothes and holes in my shoes. Like I am no better than anybody else. And you could be the one that's up here. So like, I am no different than anybody. So what I wanted to do was showcase people, real people doing real estate is the tagline. And so we just bring in people and show, okay, this is the journey. This is where they came from. And this is how they built what they do. And this is how they do it. And so that way I want to empower people that are listening to the podcast and your listeners too, to say, Hey, look, you know, you can do it too, because a lot of people want to do it. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Real estate, there's two sides to every, to every coin, right? Everybody thinks real estate is sexy. Yeah, it is, but it's really messy too. 
And so you got to know that it's a lot of work and it's not easy. It's hard. You know, um, it's not a get rich quick scheme. It's not. And people have learned that the hard way. But if you're willing to do the work, um, then you'll be able to reap the benefits of real estate 100%. So yeah, it's um, real people doing real estate. And I just leave the mic to them. It, th these kinds of things that I'm sharing with you is typically when I'm, you know, when I'm the one that's able to talk about what I want to talk about. <laughs> okay, got you. And you know what, I really do think that that's the most, the, the, um, the most valuable type of podcast information that you can put out there, right? It's really like, the nuts and bolts, the the um, actionable steps, and the things that people can think about before they're necessarily in too deep. Not to say that we don't want people to take action because we do, but um, you know things that they can do really easy and actionably right off of uh, hearing the information. So that's great. Well, I love how you say we want them to take action because ultimately you'll never see any results without action, right? And I actually, coming back to your question, Sandy, when you said, is there anything you do different? Um, you said about flipping, but if I went back before that, because I took two years of learning before I implemented anything. Um, so I started learning in 2013, told you kind of my, my personal life was a bit messy at that time. I didn't do my first, I didn't buy my first flip until October, sorry, September of 2015. It was a full two years. And so my first uh, flip was September of 2015 and the second one was October of 2015. And, um, and then, you know, I hit the ground running, but you don't see results unless you're implementing your knowledge learned. And it's really important that you start taking action. But here's what I learned in that is that knowledge empowers people to take action because people that are confused or are uncertain will not take action. So you have to go learn as much as you can get to that 80%. You're never going to know everything, by the way, guys, like there's people out there listening and I'm just going to call you out right now. There's people out there listening who are like, yeah, I still, I don't know it enough. I need to know more. No, you need to know enough to make a smart decision based on the information you have. You don't need to know everything. And here's a little secret. You'll never know everything. So just get to a point where it's uncomfortable enough to pull the trigger because pulling the trigger is always going to be uncomfortable. And I think people have this thing where if I learn enough, then I can pull the trigger and be fully confident. Listen, when I bought my first flip, I didn't know I was scared to death. And I remember my first multifamily after doing, I don't know how many single families and done duplexes, been in the business for five, six years, like actively 24 seven, and still, when I bought my first building, which was only a small building, I was still like shitting bricks. And it was like, you know, I, I was scared to pull the trigger. I was like, am I doing the right thing? So like, it's always going to be uncomfortable when you do something new and that's okay. But just know enough that you're mitigating your risk. That's all. Okay. So, and Sandy and I have sort of put this out there before at the end of the show, we like people to try and take action with what they've learned, but like, what would you say is a good amount of time for someone to educate themselves in something like this? You know, let's say they've got the, they've, they've on a low level got the means to go out and start something. How long, like, if they're really dedicated to learning and taking in some information, maybe joining groups and, and talking to people, how long should people, I know it's an, oh, it's, it's a ridiculous question, but how long should someone take learning before they start to take action? 
Okay, so I'm going to tell you, Rob, first mm -hmm. of all, that's a ridiculous question. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Glad you reiterated that for me. <laughs> no, it's a great You've got to be able to put some kind of a time limit on it, though, too, because you can totally. do it forever, right? Yeah. No, it's not a ridiculous question. I'm only teasing you because you said that. Um, it is no. kind of. Well, no, it's not. It's not. But what I will say is this. It's very unique to everyone. The timeline is going to be different for everyone because people's situations are very different. There's so many variables that come into play. I'm a quick learner, okay? And I took two years, but a lot of that was because my mindset, coming back to what I told you guys, I wasn't in the right mindset. My life was a mess. And so some people may have the perfect life, but they're not a quick learner and they don't get things quick. I'm good with math. I'm not scared of spreadsheets where some people are, right? So it's going to be very dependent on the person. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're thinking, because this is where I go back to always, if you're thinking, should I put an offer on that property? The answer is yes. If you get to the part where you're saying, should I do this or should I do that? The answer is yes. And I'll tell you why. Because you have enough confidence to be considering it. And if you're considering it, then you're there. So whereas when you don't have the confidence or you don't have the knowledge, you wouldn't even consider putting an offer on the property, right? So when you have enough confidence to even consider it or think about it, you're there already. Now, what you can do if you're talking about putting an offer on a property and you're still a little bit unsure, that's okay too. Put the offer on the property, put it conditional. If you win, do some more due diligence. If you're still uncomfortable you can pull out for whatever reason you can pull out right but then you'll know at that point whether or not you're ready to lift the conditions right because now you'll have time to sleep on it and also talk to other people about the specific properties and all of that kind of thing yeah um, I, we got to wrap up but i just want to say one thing that i and the reason why i said that was kind of ridiculous is obviously there's like so many different factors that come in for anybody like that but i do think that there is a certain amount of time and that's a really good way of measuring it if you're considering the offer then obviously you're ready to maybe go through with it that's right um, i think that that's one of the clearest answers actually we've ever got to that yeah, question now that, now that i think about it because everyone kind of goes yeah it depends and all this right and, and i right. guess that's true but i 100 percent agree if you're if you're on at that point, should I do this? Uh, yes. I'm thinking I might do this. That's where that's where yeah. you get like you know the coach or someone in your corner that just kind of nudges you that little last step and you do it, right? One of the favorite questions that I get, and I'm sure Sandy's gotten it too, is when people say, "So should I like should I go ahead and and do something? Like should I put in the offer? Should I buy something? Or should I wait to see what happens?" And I love that question. I've gotten it more than once. And I'm like, wait to see what happens with what, for how long, when will you know, you know, and that answer that you gave, I think is just the, you know, the one that makes the most sense. But um, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. You've shared a lot and we want to know if people, and I know they will want to get in touch with you and learn more about the uh, strategic success consulting or anything else that you've talked about today. How can they do that? So the easiest way to get a hold of me is um, find me on Instagram. On my profile, there's a link. You can actually book a call with me. I'm happy to have uh, a quick 15-minute call with you, find out a little bit about your story, tell you what I think if I were in your shoes, what I would do. 
And um, some people want to find out if they can work with me. Some people want to find out if I can coach them. All of those things we can explore. It's just a quick little discovery call, um, little intro call. I'm happy to do that. And if I can't help you, if you have a, if you have a struggle and if I can't help you, um, it's a pretty good chance I can point you in the right direction to somebody who can. So uh, I'm all about people helping people, elevating and growing together. So if you go to my Instagram, click on the link in my bio and find the link that, um, that says book a call. Now that's very intimidating for a lot of people. And I get that. So you can also shoot me a DM on Instagram and I'll also reply to that. Or you can come to my monthly networking events. If you're local in Southern Ontario, we do monthly networking events in Oakville um, every third week of the month. And they're called the Strategic Entrepreneur Networking Events. But again, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see all of the links and the information for those. And you can come meet me at an event. And what's better than shaking my hand? Oh, that sounded terrible. No, <laughs> it's better than shaking hands with somebody. So uh, that yeah. sounds terrible. It, it, it's much more, no, we know what you mean. It's better. It, it's a lot more um, beneficial to talk face to face. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know what? Like, I will tell you the reason why we started these networking events is because uh, networking was a massive, massive launching pad to my business. And I've spent and still spend a lot of time in networking groups, either running them or being an attendee and learning from other people that are higher than me, better than me. And uh, so I'm constantly going to these conferences and stuff, but like just meeting people, shaking the hands of those people and growing that way. And you know what, when you go to these events too, you're around the right mindset of people when you go to the right events. And again, coming back to like feeding your brain with the positive kind of vibes that you're supposed to be feeding your brain in order to get to where you want to be and become that person you want to be. Um, you really need to get out of your house, out of your office and kind of start shaking the hands with the people that you want to become. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. Um, we're going to have all of Danielle's contact info and the uh, Instagram that she mentioned on the show notes. So if you're driving right now, just wait till you get home go in there and click on those links and you can get in touch with her. Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, Instagram, social media is probably the easiest as well. It's Sandy McKay or at it's Sandy McKay or Sandy at McKayRealtyNetwork.com. Perfect. People can reach me at Rob at MrBreakthrough.ca. Thanks again, everybody for listening. And we are excited to get back with you next time. You've been listening to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. And we hope you've been inspired to take control and live life on your terms. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And don't forget to subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time.